following is a presentation of Artisan Church in Rochester, New York. Good morning, I'm Jackie, and I'm going to be reading from Galatians 1, 1 through 16. And if you want to turn in your red Bibles in front of you, it's on page 945. <clears throat> Paul, an apostle, sent neither by human commission nor from human authorities, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead and all the members of God's family who are with me, to the churches of Galatia. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins and to set us free from the present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who calls you in the grace of Christ and are returning to a different gospel. Not that there is another gospel, but there are some who are confusing you and want to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should proclaim to you a gospel contrary to what we proclaim to you, let the one be accursed. As we have said before, so now I repeat. If anyone proclaims to you a gospel contrary to what you received, let that one be accursed. Am I now seeking human approval or God's approval? Or am I trying to please people? If I were still pleasing people, I would not be a servant of Christ. For I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that the gospel that was proclaimed by me is not of human origin, for I did not receive it from a human source, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. You have heard, no doubt, of my earlier life in Judaism. I was violently persecuting the church of God and was trying to destroy it. I advanced in Judaism beyond many among my people of the same age, for I was far more zealous for the traditions of my ancestors. But when God, who had set me apart before I was born and called me through his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me so that I might proclaim him among the Gentiles. I did not confer with any human being, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were already apostles before me. But I went away at once into Arabia, and afterwards I returned to Damascus. Thank you, Jackie, for reading that. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God, yes. So uh, Melody, a few moments ago, mentioned uh, a couple of things which I think might transition us well to our guest speaker today. The first is, uh, in her prayer, you heard her using that phrase, beloved community, which uh, was popularized by Dr. King uh, during uh, his ministry and uh, activism, and which has become our kind of watchwords for this year at Artisan. You don't hear a lot of preaching on it necessarily, although I certainly hope that it comes through in the preaching. But beloved community is something that we're trying to experience and share with others in all of the activities that we do when we're not together here on Sundays as well. Uh, And today's speaker um, has uh, a lot to say about that, which I think will be challenging and inspirational for us. Uh, Melody also mentioned uh, the book, Rethinking Incarceration, which was written by a covenant colleague of mine, Dominique Gilliard, and which you are well acquainted with at this point. And um, our guest today is another covenant colleague of mine who also has written a book, which I want to recommend to you now. 
Uh, Jose will be the first to tell you that he's not um, like naturally given to self-promotion, but I want to promote this book um, because it's really good, and I think that each one of you should read it if you can. It's called Seeing Jesus in East Harlem. What happens when churches show up and stay put? What does it mean to be a church in a city? That's a question we should be asking ourselves and trying to find good answers for every day. Uh, and so we're selling the book for 10 bucks, which is cheaper than Amazon, and uh, I, would, I have lots of copies here, and uh, Jose was even generous enough to sign a few of them after the first service, so if you would like that to happen, we can make that happen again after the second service, uh, but you can come and get the book. I'll give you more details about that at the end of the service, but suffice it to say, um, I want everybody who would like a copy to be able to have a copy, so if you can't afford it, let us know. We'll just be happy to give one to you. At any rate, uh, as I said last week when my friend Don was here, what Jose has to share with us is more interesting than anything I've been saying, so I want to hasten the day when Jose gets up here. Would you join me in welcoming my friend and a great pastor and writer and thinker and public theologian, um, Pastor Jose Humphreys. Um, way more fashionable than I am, too. <laughs> he has worn two different pairs of sneakers that I kind of want to steal, except I think my feet are too big <laughs> in the two days that he's been here. So. <laughs> well, I'm sleeping over at his place. I might not know what happens later, you know? So, uh, hey, it's great to be here with you all and, um, you know, for a, a, a second round. Uh, but uh, you, you have a, a, just a wonderful pastor. Um, he's become... Uh, a good friend of mine, and uh, even a brother, and it's great to know that uh, there are kindred uh, hearts and souls uh, across uh, the state. Uh, I'm in the other New York, right? I'm a New Yorker, right? You know what I'm saying? <laughs> and uh, I think some people could tell when I had, and the first thing I, I uh, arrived, I, I had asked for some coffee, and you know, <laughs> so, uh, you know, greetings from uh, East Harlem, specifically, uh, you have a sister church there, uh, Metro Hope Covenant Church, which we founded about, uh, I would say, about a little bit over 10 years ago. Uh, I've been able to learn so much from you all, just you know, hearing about the wonderful things that uh, God has been doing and uh, what you all have been uh, intending to do in this pursuit of Dr. King's vision of the beloved community. And we know that the beloved community, the vision of the beloved community, uh, goes beyond the church. Can I... At least just hear a yes, right? Yeah, right? You know, once in a while, I'm going to probably ask you to respond to a couple of things. Don't be uh, threatened by it. It's just merely a part of my tradition. Uh, but then I also realized that uh, I, the reason I embraced that tradition was because uh, it comes from uh, a place of community where uh, people in many ways in the South and in the black tradition had felt a, a sense of uh, communion but also the, the idea that saying a good yes or a hmm uh, was really speaking to uh, the truth that our, bi- that, our, that our faith is not just an intellectual exercise or it's not just a soul exercise, but it's also about our bodies, right? And so I'm really grateful for uh, the, just the worship band. Uh, they were singing uh, into my soul today again, right? So why don't we uh, just put our hands together for the worship band, man? Don't take that for granted. Uh, you know, a lot of churches are lucky if they land one good band or, you know, one good drummer. You guys, I heard, have about three of them. So uh, that's a wonderful um, just, uh, just gift that you're, you're not only giving to yourselves, but also to this um, larger community. Uh, today, uh, I was going to jump in, but, you know, you did mention the book, 
Yeah, get it, <laughs> buy it. I'm, I'm around if you want to talk a little bit about it. Uh, it's, a, it's a labor of love, and it, it really came from just a deep place uh, that talks about our, our church's story. And, and our church's story is, is, is pretty uh, just amazing, the fact that you know, we're still around and we're still doing this in the midst of you know, the transience of New York City, the, the stratification, the, the uh, uh, I was going to say diversity, but all, diversity and also divisions that we have in our cities. Don't let New York City fool you. It's not as progressive as people think it is. Uh, and uh, we as a church have been uh, you know, meeting together over a decade, uh, really trying to embrace uh, and live into this narrative we call the gospel story. And that's what I want to talk to you a little bit about today. Uh, you know, I want to talk about uh, showing up with a better story or showing up through a better story and as we heard uh, the book of uh, Galatians chapter 1, we hear uh, of, of, of Paul's earlier writings. And uh, Paul was a little cranky in that chapter, wouldn't you agree? Uh, he was passionate, to say the least. And uh, he was really getting the church to be thinking about uh, the stories that they uh, laid to bear, the stories that they lived into. And that was a very important thing because uh, stories can frame our realities. And in thinking about this idea that stories, good stories, powerful stories, uh, can frame our realities, I, I basically did a, a contemplative exercise in the last uh, couple of weeks and, and month or so. Uh, I did a mental thought journal this, this, just this last week, in the last couple of weeks, actually. And, and I really uh, thought about this idea of framing narrative. And I wanted to think about how uh, my thoughts track back to specific sources, and also stories. Sources and stories that perhaps weren't of my origin, or of my making, but nevertheless, my, my thinking and my uh, thoughts, my thoughts and my stories went back to a, a specific source. And, and one of the things that I asked myself is, uh, what story are my thoughts attached to? And it became kind of a, a mental calorie journal, just like uh, you have uh, these diet plans that allow you to track your calories and, and see uh, or take away the mystery of where your calories are coming from, or uh, where we have a certain phone plans that allow us to track our minutes mid-month, uh, to be mindful of the number of phone calls we make, the number of messages that we uh, receive, and also texts. I, I began to keep my own mental calorie journal as well. And my key question, and maybe you can write this down for yourself even in this Lenten season uh, that's uh, arriving, uh, was what script is driving you in this moment? What script is driving you in this moment? Not in the day, not in the week, but it's also in the moment. A very granular kind of observation, looking at things from moment to moment, conversation to conversation, day to day. And throughout this contemplative exercise, I discovered that there were all kinds of roles that I had taken on. Uh, one role was the hurried New Yorker, where I'm rushing only to go nowhere. And in New York City, we'll honk someone before the light even turns green. How many know what I'm talking about, right? <laughs> it's uh, just in case you didn't know the light was going to turn green kind of honk, right? <laughs> And all this to get a gallon of milk. It's not even like we're rushing to the ER or anything like that. It's not real urgency. It's not real emergency. 
But I find that my body in many ways has been taken over by this narrative, this sense of urgency, this impulse to have to rush even when there is no need to. And it's a, it's a cultural logic that is found in New York City. Can you say that word, those words with me? Cultural? That's right. Oh, you're rolling. You're rolling. And at work, I, I'm, I'm more, than, more times than I fell, um, more times than not, I fell into this, this other uh, script or this other cultural kind of logic of people-pleasing and I found my saying, myself saying yes to things I probably shouldn't have said yes to and overextending myself. And I found myself saying afterwards, Jose, you know what? You could have been a little bit more direct. You could have set some more boundaries. You could have, you could have, you could have. And I could have encouraged some people on the way by actually challenging them uh, instead of just going along with the status quo. And I found that in my mental uh, thought process, I found that my scripts were connected to all kinds of roles and all kinds of stories that I had internalized. I even found I was operating from an anxious script more often than I'd like to admit. Thinking about this new season of busyness that the pastors tend to deal with in ramping up through Easter and also through Lent. And the work uh, can be a blessing, but then there are times when blessings can also become burdens if we allow them. How many of the one I'm talking about? If you know it, say yes, right? And our truth, uh, we, you know, we can, bo- we can be both uh, conscious and unconscious of our truths, conscious and unconscious about the scripts that we choose to adopt in our life. And those scripts cast us into certain roles, as if we were actors on a big stage or play. And if we play out these scripts long enough, and this, is what, this was Paul's fear, because this was a script that had been, been playing out for generations with the children of Israel. If we play out these scripts long enough, we might find ourselves not only living the scripts, but uh, being defined by these false narratives, scripts, or false gospels. Because our truth, or should I say the truths that we embrace can determine our trajectories and how we show up in the world. So our hope is not to be perfect, but to be able to live from the truth, the truth of who God is and who we're meant to be more and more of each day. And this is what Paul was trying to tell the church about the gospel that they had received, the competing scripts that they had been preaching about. He is speaking to a church in south-central Turkey under the reign of Emperor Claudius. And people, uh, as was custom in that uh, culture, were worshiping other gods, and some had begun to worship the emperor himself and would say that uh, Emperor Claudius was Lord. Sound kind of familiar? Because Paul also adopted the subversive, and not so subversive language, of saying Jesus is, come on everybody, Lord. That's right, curious, Jesus, right? Jesus is Lord. And it was a, a, a subversive message that Paul was beginning to, to describe. And, and Paul describes how he came out of Judaism and he's a Pharisee of Pharisees. And, and he would uh, speak, uh, uh, he would persecute Christians in his day. And if you notice that I'm approaching this text, not from the place of doctrine, but from the place of testimony, because that's where Paul was actually coming from. He was sharing a narrative about how this framing gospel, this framing story had transformed transformed his life and therefore had transformed his trajectory. And he was railing against the Judaizers in those days who preached that in order to belong to the family of God, to the beloved community, they needed to be circumcised. In the Old Testament, we know that circumcision was a sign 
and an identity marker that separated the children of Israel. It was how uh, the children of Israel as a nomadic tribe, as an exilic kind of tribe, as a tribe that was consistently uh, uh, supplanted outside of their, or displaced outside of Jerusalem and, being, and scattered forth into the different nations. It was one of the ways, circumcision was one of the ways that they would preserve their identity as the children of God. But Paul was also realizing that times have changed. Somebody say times have changed. And, and he, he, he read the times and he realized that there was a new story and a new thing that God was beginning to do. So Paul would have none of that because he realized that the story that they were peddling and promoting would bring people back into bondage. He realized that by requiring circumcision, the Judaizers were attacking something foundational to the Christian faith. And Paul was there to remind them in this important letter that salvation lets us know that we are loved by the greatest force in the universe. I mean, this is a, the kind of God that is uh, creating, uh, establishing beautiful worlds and, and ecologies since the beginning. And we know that we are loved and loved by the greatest force in the universe and love keeps things together and love is in all and through all and love holds molecules and atoms together. Love is the very thing the fab- that runs through the fabric of existence and Paul is trying to remind them that this new story that they had adopted, this new story was actually grander than anything that they had received in the past. And it was displayed on the cross. And it is out of this new story that we find identity and we also find courage. Paul was fighting against people living in the anxiety and the fear that they would not belong because of some sort of ritual. There, there was the, the, the fear that they would not belong had they not observed certain observances that uh, were prescribed by the Old Testament law. So Paul was saying, if you're good news of Christ is somehow causing you to mutilate your way back to God and to belong to God's people, there's no, this is no gospel at all. This is no good news. This is no love at all. The truth of the gospel is this, that God loves you as you are, right? And it's like a Brennan Manning once said, God loves you where you are. That's it. Amen? <laughs> right? You know, there are times when we look for the qualifiers and all these other things. And I think he goes on to also say that God loves you where you are, and maybe uh, he loves you so much he won't keep you where you are. But th- there's a, something that we need to know in that preface is that God loves us where we are right here and right now. And this is important because the scripts that we have, the framing narratives, that is, it's a little bit more poignant language, have generational impact. There are scripts and there are gospels, both uh, conscious and unconscious, that we pass down consistently through our generations. You know, we even look at the field of epigenetics, which is a form of neuroscience, brain science, that our Holocaust survivors have actually higher stress levels and higher cortisol levels that actually trace back to the Holocaust. And we're talking about children and grandchildren of Holocaust survivors. And people are beginning to see that trauma is also uh, passed down by people who have been incarcerated and people who come from uh, certain types of homes where there was abuse and all kinds of ne- neglect. And as much as we don't want to pass these, th- this news or these scripts down, somehow, some way, they begin to inhabit and live in our bodies. There are all kinds of scripts. And Paul was saying there are scripts and gospels that we pass down that, that can cause injury, trauma, and, and in a sense, it, it's, it's a deformity of the soul when you receive a, a story that does not give you life. 
For example, there's the script of living in continual disappointment that I, I sometimes find myself uh, adopting, where I no longer somehow expect good things to happen. How many cynical New Yorkers do we have here? You don't have to answer that. Right? Uh, you know, we had a little confessional thing going on earlier about how you know, sometimes cynicism does seep in more times than we want to admit. But we might go around with this frame in our story about expecting the worst and not expecting anything good lest we be disappointed once again. And I would encourage you today to maybe look back at a better story because God would challenge us and even open our eyes to the truth that when the women uh, came on the third day and they went searching for the body, what they found is an empty tomb. Can I get an amen? And God is into surprises. God is into uh, turning things around. We may not know what is around the corner, but we can know that God is able to do exceedingly above what we could ever ask or imagine. So I'm not always trying to predict things or calculate things or uh, uh, maybe, you know, get uh, lined up with uh, very inflexible expectations. But I'm allowing God to surprise me. And maybe there's a gospel gr- driven by by guilt and shame, which is what circumcision would have actually led to, right? It's the idea that if someone has the mark and someone else doesn't have the mark, then somehow they don't belong. And Paul was trying to make the distinction here about belonging, that belonging takes on a different nature and belonging takes on a different character. So don't allow yourself to be driven by guilt, Guilt is this idea that uh, what we did, we feel really badly about what we did wrong. And then there's also its cousin or sibling shame where we feel wrong about who we are. And God is into, once again, flipping the script. Somebody say, flip the script. script. Framing the new narrative and and saying that shame doesn't need to have the last word. Shame doesn't need to make you shrink but shame, can, uh, shame uh, will counteract the things that make you shine. And God is trying to bring a new kind of message, a new kind of people. And then finally, there's uh, this other false gospel that really talks about the divisive cultural logics. And I wish I had more time to unpack this out of the New Testament. But he's talking about the divisive cultural logics of his day when he's talking about uh, being a light for Jesus in the midst of empire. And we, look at, and we look at Rome and we look at first century Rome and we know that there was a history of conquest. And we look at even our modern day context and we, also, we recognize that things didn't just show up. Divisions didn't just show up. Uh, racism didn't just show up. Uh, property values didn't just, you know, get sky high. We recognize that there is a history and a cultural logic uh, rooted in every culture and also community. And Paul, when he's bringing in this new story, he's saying this is not just about, you know, I want to be saved again. But he wanted them to recognize is that, that this, this gospel has greater implications beyond this idea of the soul. When Scott picked me up at the airport yesterday, he kind of told me the story about the, the highway that we were on. And, and I forgot to ask you again what highway that was. And he had mentioned that this highway was once uh, a community and that the highway had paved over this community, and uh, it, called, uh, it caused all kinds of divisions, right? And it's a cultural logic that uh, led to white flight and, and redlining and all kinds of things. And, and we see th- that the, the modern-day uh, story of ge- geography, in a way, disciples us. Can I get a yes? 
It shapes us, right? That, that, that discipleship and formation isn't just about the information that I receive or the stories that I receive that speak to my soul and also to my mind. But I realize that the, neighborhood, the neighborhoods which I inhabit, the places in which I live, uh, the places in which I attend school, the places in which I'm rooted also begin to shape me as well. And it's a cultural logic, as uh, Scott had mentioned, even in our own community here, where we, uh, that led to an infrastructure of segregation and redlining. Your pastor's deep, by the way. How many know that, right? <laughs> and we've all adopted, in many ways, a, a, a racialized kind of faith here in America, one that uh, divides us, one that says that we should uh, continue to abide within our respective zip codes without any tension. And when I talk to people about this gospel of unity, this gospel that bridges us, you know, the, the, the answer isn't just... The, uh, I, I've thought a, a little while about this. I don't think the, the, the answer is just diversify churches. Because, uh, you know, I, I told people, I got, I got over certain aspects of diversity a long time ago. Because if you just want more uh, colorful jelly beans in the jelly bean jar, then, you know, that's not the hardest thing to do, right? We want, but we want more than that. We want, uh, we want our stories and our narratives to actually collide and converge so that we become transformed by one another, where uh, our getting together is actually a, a, a subversive narrative, one that subverts the larger narrative of this world that tells us that, you know what, we, we just need to be in our own silos or we need uh, to just uh, have uh, church as usual on Sundays. But what I see here at Artisan is something beautiful. And what I see is that, that, that you, you guys are into crossover ministry. You know, if people can't come here, then you know what? We can also go out there and build bridges. Can I get an amen? And as I had mentioned in the earlier service, you know, it just, it, the, the holy huddle is of some importance, right? Because it allows us to, uh, you know, embrace and adopt a new story. But also, for those of you who may like, uh, you know, some football, American football, right, uh, 60,000 people don't go to the Super Bowl to see a huddle. People want to know how the team actually executes out of the line of scrimmage. In other words, how does the, the cultural logic, how does the, gospel, the story of the gospel actually uh, challenge our cultural logics so that we can go to work differently? Can I get an amen? All right, so that we can avoid the gossip circle, so that we can uh, go in and, and speak uh, life and truth into places that are, are dry bones, where there, there is a racial narrative of division, where people are being left behind, where walls are being built. But our gospel speaks to a different type of belonging and a different type of being. So here's the good news. That just like script, scripts and stories and, and narratives... Uh, Narratives that weigh us down, narratives that are incomplete in and of themselves, just like those can be transmitted, so can a gospel of freedom, of power, and also resilience. A gospel of healing, a gospel of peace and bridge building. I like to try to imagine the world with you in a different way. And, and I got to say that it's been tough, you know, just even as a man of color to imagine the world differently than what it is in our current political climate or in a, in a country that in many ways has just uh, exposed the fault lines of division, of race, and America's original sin. 
But I'd like to imagine the world differently because I believe that the, all it takes is a mustard seed to begin uh, to work within our own context, where we begin to see this world with different eyes. Imagine living in the world with the security of being deeply loved. How less anxious would we be when we think about what love is? How love breeds resilience. And resilience is something that we can pass down to our children. How love dismantles the dividing wall of hostility. Because how we see people is just as important as how we serve them as well. And when I serve my brother, my sister, my neighbor, in whatever place I might find myself, I recognize that seeing with the eyes of Jesus is actually a new kind of imagination. That God's story of love extends bridges instead of creating barriers. So I love what is happening here because you guys hold in your hands a fragment a puzzle piece of the kingdom. And we as churches are really trying to put those pieces together because we, we only see in part, because we only know in part, and we want to imagine things differently. My, fa- my favorite uh, theologian, Willie uh, James Jennings, writes this when he thinks about the truth of the gospel. One of the things that he writes is, imagine a people defined by their cultural differences, yet who turn their histories and cultural logics toward a new determination, a new social performance of identity. Thus the words and the ways of one people join those of another and another, each born anew in community, seeking to love and honor those in its midst. Those relationships involve deep joining, the opening of our lives to one another in love and also desire. What Willie James Jennings is getting at here is uh, this notion of social performance, that we are not here uh, doing this as a staged performance. Notice he didn't say staged performance, but the gospel, the truth, our framing narrative, gospel of Jesus Christ, allows us to enact a different way of being in the world. Because it is for freedom, as he writes later on in the same letter, that Jesus has set us free. So what is he telling this church, bottom line? He's saying this, good old-fashioned church word. Y'all need to repent, right? That's what he tells them. Just just repent. And when we think about repent, you know, sometimes we develop these allergies, right, to the old kind of language of the church. But I really want you to look at this a little bit more dimensionally. Repent is metanoia. It's a change of mind. That's what it is in the Greek. And and, and it's a change of mind that leads to a reorientation of our very living. In other words, we arrange our lives around a different set of of values, and ultimately a better story. And perhaps, oh, and there's also something else attached to it, and I'm just about done. Repentance also speaks to this notion of allegiances as well. So when people would say in those days, uh, you know, repent, it was uh, based on this, this, the root of the gospel, evangelion, right, this heralding of news. A new king is coming, so y'all got to, like, you know, just get it together and do something different. And by the way, your allegiances are going in this direction. And here's what the gospel really challenges us to. And, and, and when I think about the beauty of this story, none of us should really have a problem with this. What the gospel really does is it reorients us and challenges us into the direction of ultimate love. 
As John Coltrane once said, I love Supreme. Right? This is a new story. This is a new way of being. This is a new way of belonging. This is a new way of including people in the beloved community that I no longer will have or keep, I have my habits, don't get me wrong, I have my defaults, I have my uh, trains and tracks of thinking, uh, but what the gospel is challenging me to is now to have my allegiances in a, in a different direction. In, o- in other words, I get to re-script, flip the script, I get to reframe, and now reorient, I just preached a three-point sermon right there, right? Uh, <laughs> that's another one. Reorient my life in a different direction and a different path, with the gospel as the framing narrative. No longer do I need to have allegiances to fear, although fear is a reality. No longer do I need to have a, a, my allegiances to, to whiteness. Can I hear a yes? Is that okay? Right? All right? No longer do I need to have my allegiances to that because there is a, a deeper identity. There's a, a real identity that transcends that identity, and ultimately we are children of the living God, the beloved community created in the image of God. So I need to reorient my allegiances. So just three quick takeaways, which are not three uh, quick takeaways, but you can take a picture of the slide and maybe just make it uh, a meditation. Uh, The gospel reshapes us and our allegiances into a new place of identity, right? That's what Paul was saying. I'm I'm free to be a child of God, where before I was in Egypt, and now I am free to worship God. I was bound by the empire and the ways of thinking by the empire, be it Rome, be it the Medes, be it Persia, be it Assyria, but now I am free to worship God. And my body is no longer, my physical body, is no longer uh, uh, confined to the narratives and the scripts that the world gives me, but my body gets to tell a new story. And we're telling this story. We're, We're scripting this story. We're, we're finding new language for this story as well. And it invites us into a new script to be faithful to peace, joy, and the fruit of spirit with a new concern for others. And then this, lastly, this new joining that Paul was talking about also really speaks to the truth that is, if we're really uh, becoming the beloved community, the space is one of the few churches where I'm allowed to get it wrong. Can I get a yes? There are times when we're not going to say it right if we're going to be as inclusive as we say we're going to be. I remember when we first planted our church, my, one of the things my wife tells the launch team is, if you're going to be a part of a diverse community, uh, be uh, prepared, and it was highly theological, be prepared to be pissed off at times, right? <laughs> but, it's just, but, but don't, isn't the story about grace? And, and if, we're, if, if we're not in this formative practice, right, of, of learning each other, of having a divine curiosity about each other, of, of attempting to, to meld and, and become and integrate and become the beloved community, then where else can we do this? Where else? Think about it. But I think the church has been entrusted with a, a better story, a more powerful story of God's love, and that is our framing story, the one that guides us, not divides us, the one that breaks the barriers uh, and also bridges people, the one that says, y'all don't belong together. You're not just a New York City subway system where diverse people get together but don't really talk with each other and do life with each other. You guys, this church is much more than that. You are the beloved community of Christ, chosen for such a time as this. So uh, peace be with you, Artisan. May God's blessing of love continue to have you have courageous conversations 
and, and be who you are. Because it's in, in, in simply your being at times. And we take this for granted. It's in your, your showing up on a Sunday and bridge the tensions that you're trying to bridge that often people don't know, know about, that you are actually cultivating a snapshot and a sign of the kingdom, which is God's beloved community. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. Creator, I thank you for the grace that the community uh, gives me to go over a few minutes on my sermon. (laughs) But I pray for your love uh, that uh, in this moment, God, um, I pray that your grace and the power of your gospel would supplant uh, lesser stories right now. That people would receive a new love right now. A greater love. And that they would switch their allegiances, God, from lesser stories to the good news of the gospel, the Evangelion. They would be transformed, that they would be changed, that they would be courageous, and, Lord, that they would be your people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God. God bless you all. Amen. Jose, thank you so much. It's been a blessing to have you with us in our community today. Uh, we will conclude, uh, well, we, we respond to the, um, the preaching of the word the same way at, each week at Artisan, and that's at the table of communion. Artisan's communion table is an open table, which means any who would like to receive communion uh, are invited to do so. You don't have to be a member of this church or any church. You simply uh, need to be seeking Jesus and following him in this place recognizing your need for his grace and repenting, changing your mind, your allegiance into a, into a different and toward a different story. And this can be part of that. This can be a, a tangible act that, that gets you one little bit closer to that. So uh, if you'd like to come, you can take a piece of the bread and remember Christ's body, which was broken for you, and dip it in one of the cups. We have both wine and juice. Choose the one that's more appropriate for you. And as you dip the bread in the cup, remember Christ's blood, which is shed for the forgiveness of sins. When you do that, look to your left, to your right, and and think about how you are in beloved community with that person there. And with each person who has come to the table of the Lord in this city today, in our world today, and actually throughout centuries of Christian history, this is something that knits us together. And may it be for you the real presence of Jesus the Savior, a means of God's grace to you and food for your hungry and weary spiritual selves. Uh, The band's going to come back up and lead us in a couple of more songs as we take communion. There will be a member of our prayer team at the back of the room. If you'd like to receive personal prayer today, you can go back to that uh, space and receive prayer with that person. Uh, I invite you to come to the table uh, if uh, if you'd like. It's open for you now. Amen. For more information, visit us at artisanchurch.com.